0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factory, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Da-ding!
1: It's been so long since I've heard that. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hero Factory, everybody. After a bit of a hiatus in the craziness of the pandemic, we're excited to be back chatting with experts in communications, marketing, and fundraising, and technology that can help nonprofits create a bigger impact and a better world for all of us, as I like to say. I'm really excited to be back with a guest today that is also a good friend of mine. He is a researcher, writer, and a knowledge sharer on a wide range of issues critical to building. building a strong brand, including marketing, ROI, uh, strategies for marketing in the digital age and how to develop creative and effective brand communications. His name is Matthew Quint. He is the director. He is a director at the Columbia Business School in their center of brand strategy. He also produces the acclaimed Bright Conference, which I've uh, enjoyed attending in the past to discuss how innovation and technology help build and maintain strong brands. And he serves on the board of the New York City Children's Theater, which is an organization that I am a big fan of as well. Matthew describes his superpower as helping organizations think strategically about what it takes to build and maintain a strong brand. And I'm going to bring him on to tell you more about that and ask him a whole lot of questions about how nonprofits can really use their brand, activate their brand, grow their brand, and compete in this noisy space that we're all in. So without any further ado, let's bring on Matthew Quint. Hey Matthew.
0: Hey Boris, pleasure to see you. Really happy to be a ho- uh, be hosted by you
1: right now. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it, and uh, no pressure. Like I said, you're just our first guest back after a nine month hiatus. So if you mess this up, it's all over for us, Matt. Okay. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> With that said, uh, why don't you? I, I, obviously, I read your bio. Tell us your story, though.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Boris. Uh, So I was born back in, no, uh, we'll (laughs) we'll jump ahead a little bit. Uh, So professionally, I I sort of have largely a a two career path. So for a decade after uh, college, I worked at the Australian Embassy in Washington DC on nuclear science policy. So kind of an interesting thing. And then moved to New York, uh, got a job at Columbia. Uh, realized I could also get a degree while I was there um, and uh, got a master's of science in strategic communications, which is offered by the School of Professional Studies uh, while I was working there in a, in a small center that was just starting up. And then uh, as I was finishing the degree program after a couple of years, slid into this role as a director at the Center on Global Brand Leadership, uh, at Columbia Business School, and I've been there for whew, over a decade now. Um, so I uh, really enjoy it uh, and, you know, enjoy the nonprofit world. I've been involved a few, as you mentioned, served on a board of one. Um, what of the work I do uh, at the Brand Center is broad. Uh, and obviously largely for-profit oriented. Um, So the examples and the way I think we talk today will be a mixture of general trends I'm seeing in the space as well as some specific uh, unique elements that go into nonprofit branding in particular.
1: Well, I, honestly, I think that's super valuable because I find in my work a lot of times that's what I'm doing. I'm translating the latest marketing trends or the, la- the latest um, storytelling trends, whatever they might be, technology trends, and helping nonprofits understand exactly the best ways to use them and that it, helping them compete by staying, you know, uh, staying. Uh, level with the other organizations out there that are vying for the same exact attention, dollars and everything else, all the resources that nonprofits do need and and deserve to to get. So it's great that you're able to bring those kinds of insights and then translate them to nonprofit space. So I guess let's start with uh, a nice broad question, which is what are you seeing out there in branding in general and or in the nonprofit branding in specific?
0: Yeah. I mean, right now, I think the biggest overall issue going on for companies, there are two core ones. The first one is this transition we're in right now towards you know, what's being called stakeholder capitalism from shareholder capitalism, right? So changing the very responsibilities of what it is to be a corporate entity. And while many have often had corporate social responsibility programs, cared about their community, et cetera, there's been a ramp up of the expectations of companies, particularly for profits, um, but nonprofits as well, in terms of what are they delivering? How are they bringing back? How are they advancing society? So everything you're doing, if you're selling potato chips or, you know, Ford 150s, you know, (laughs) F-150s, if you're Ford, right, each of these is, okay, what's our overall organization mission? What's our purpose? How are we contributing? And then for what are the products and services that we're delivering? How are those meeting our mission? And where are they helping society and not just, you know, revenue generation and profits? And so as a brand, you know, how you're mixing in those elements is ramped up to a level that it hasn't we haven't been at really ever before. Um, in some ways, it's an advantage to nonprofits who <laughs> usually start with a very strong mission and purpose, right, there's a resonance there in the consumer mindset, particularly among you know younger consumers about where is this contributing back into society element of what you're doing. There's mostly a respect that you need to be profitable to stay in business, and everyone you talk to, all the experts around, whether you're for-profit or nonprofit, that's a big thing that they focus on. Uh, It's like, we can't execute our mission, and whatever service it is to society, we can't generate revenue and be profitable. So that doesn't go away. Um, And then the other key thing, obviously, is just changes going on right now with uh, problems in supply chain right, which is just affecting brands and delivering on your promise to customers, right? It's hard to people, if you're selling F-150s, you may not be able to sell them right now because the chips that are necessary as one example to go into the car in order to build it aren't available. So, you know, there's there's shortages on these kind of things. So, um, and yes, I apologize. I'm having a little uh, video
1: delay it seems. That's okay. We we're still getting everything, so it's it's all good. Um, so when it comes to that uh, that brand authenticity, that that connection to a deeper mission, um, you actually kind of mentioned you know driven by younger consumers. I know that uh, millennial culture has widely been associated with this. It, it's not that it, that Ford one day woke up and decided to be woke, if you will. It's that consumers and Consumers are the same people who are also donors, right? Um, They have started asking, they have started to uh, vote with their dollars. And that's really what they're doing every time they donate or buy anything, to vote with their dollars, uh, the types of organizations that they want to support because they want a certain world in the end, not just a gadget or a car,
0: That's correct. I think there's there's been pressures economically and politically, uh, globally, that have created a new expectation of what the non-government sectors in our society are doing to care for society. Now, some of those attitudes are representative in that dollar spent, in many cases. Um, In some cases, people are, you know, we have to remember it, it affects some choices consumers are making and donors are making, right? Or users of, of nonprofit services. It affects some of that. It doesn't affect all of it. It's not like we've had a massive sea change, but all it takes, as we know in most cases, is a bit of a trend going in one direction. And the reality is that, especially for the corporate world, it's as much about talent recruitment, talent management, affecting churn, right? that We're talking about younger generations. They now want to work for an organization in which they feel better about the way that organization is contributing to society. Again, one of the things about a nonprofit that has been so strong is they get committed individuals often who are right working to, quote unquote, better the world in some way, in some corner, in some element, Uh, and often sacrifice, you know, make sacrifices in terms of salary and other things uh, because the remuneration isn't there, but that's what they want. So in some cases, it may be difficult for nonprofits moving forward as the corporate world, which may have more money to pay in salary, gets into driving more social impact related elements uh, as an organization. It'll be an interesting trend uh, to keep up with over the next decade plus but also potentially leading to more and more partnerships. Uh, and that's, I think, something that nonprofits need to look at is take a look outside your your sphere and look at what organizations, what for-profit organizations seem to have matching passions to yours. Many organizations do that already, uh, but I think there's gonna be an even greater willingness for both foundations that come out of you know companies, um, I just did an interview, we're about to launch a podcast at the Brand Center called Bright Ideas and we interviewed the CEO of the Lego Foundation, uh, which is a long time, long running since the 80s uh, foundation, which actually owns 25% of the Lego group, very interesting model. Um, and you know that's gonna continue to grow and we're gonna see more companies looking at where can I drive, uh, find a matched purpose with an organization that is doing something that aligns with what my purpose and what my goals to improve society are.
1: Um, There's a lot of stuff to, to uh, look at there and to, and to consider there. Uh, But I realized that you're a branding expert, and this is a great opportunity to ask someone who lives in this space because everybody has their own definition. Matt, what is a brand?
0: The way I think of a brand and we think of a brand in terms of what we try to execute at the Brand Center is anything that affects the relationship between an organization and its stakeholders affects the brand, right? So a brand is not just marketing and communications. It's not just your brand identity in terms of your name, your logo. It also taps into the operations of what you do your supply chain issues as i was just mentioning earlier your overall mission and purpose all of these things create a perception that you're trying to drive as the brand itself and also a perception that's in the mind of your stakeholders about who you are so you manage your brand but you do not entirely control your brand right um so it's important to think about the fact that you need to be paying attention as much as you can to people outside of your organization, even outside of your core stakeholders, your direct owners, your direct, you know, per- ticket purchasers, et cetera, those who are naked. And what is what's going on outside of that sphere and how do they think about you, as well as, of course, trying to get data? on how some of your core stakeholders think about you, and what they think about your brand. Because sometimes what you there's an enlightenment that can occur where you realize we've thought of ourselves this way, but it's, there's a really interesting insight that those who are involved with us think about us a little differently. And where can we you know, fit into that? Especially building a brand, right? If you're trying to, ch- changing perceptions is the hardest thing to do. So if you can find a way to take an existing perception in a consumer's mind and a person's mind and find out how you can match and just wiggle it or adapt what you do to match their perception and flow along with it, that is a lot easier than to try to do something from a communications marketing perception perspective to switch their perception into something different. I want them to think about us this way and they don't. Well, you're that's going to be a step-by-step process if you really want to do that,
1: right? Um, I think that's a great definition. Um, in uh, my world, since I position everything from storytelling uh, perspective, you know, a brand is basically the story that gets triggered almost involuntarily in someone's mind when they hear your name, see your logo, or, or see you in context anywhere. It's an association they have with it, a story. Usually based in some personal experience or knowledge that they have around it, right?
0: Yep, and and you can be a strong brand and have people hate you, right? Uh, it is one of the things, right? Because everyone has different perceptions of things. Some people like chocolate, some people like vanilla, right? So there's not a there's very few brands out there that are loved by all. Um, even some of the most beloved brands, Apple, as an example, right, has a lot of fans. I personally respect. Apple as a brand and many elements of what it does, but I find there's a lot of myth there too. And as I look under the hood of what many of the elements of the Apple brand are, it's sort of not a brand for me, Matt Quint. Um, and there are many like me, right? There are there are Apple mo- more Apple lovers than Apple haters out there. But uh, you, whatever brand you are, for profit, nonprofit. You have to be accepting of the fact that, you know, you're not going to appeal and please everyone
1: unless you're Bob Marley. (laughs) So that's um, it's interesting because there are definitely brands out there that almost like politicians are very divisive. Right. They're going to be excuse me. They're going to be uh, either uh, someone that you're going to either love or hate. And then there are, are brands that try to be not quite Switzerland, but, you know, we love all all should love us what makes a more effective brand and maybe it's not the extreme of one or the other but what is more effective and keeping in mind that nonprofits have to be associated with social good or they don't have to be but ideally should be in order to get the support that they want out there how how does a nonprofit brand grow strong and define itself
0: yeah i I'm really Through all the same, all the elements that we're talking about, whether it's for profit or nonprofit. And it's really interesting how the term brand, you know, when I started working at the Brand Center in 2009, uh, we did an interview with Hayes Roth, who was the chief strategy officer at uh, Landor, at the time, chief marketing officer at Landor at the time, one of the leading brand agencies, New York based independent brand agencies uh, in the US. And, you know, the B word was something nonprofits didn't like back then. Because at that time, brand was still associated with something pushed out from a company, a for-profit company, trying to get attention and be you know, be known for something. So for brands, it was reputation was the terminology, right? And it's sort of, as he talked about at the time, really didn't matter what terminology used. What you needed to do was understand yourself, what you are trying to change, what are you trying to deliver in the world? What are the obstacles to that? How are you breaking through those obstacles with what you're doing? And then finding proof points that demonstrate how you're actually making these changes in the world. And as, and then to your point, Boris, it's wrapping all of that up in the story. You know, that's what makes it compelling to the audience is understanding not just what you're doing, but give me sort of the anecdote to be simple. You need, as I call it, the anecdata and the data. Right, so you need the story arcs that are dem- that demonstrate where you're actually succeeding in the mission that you're trying to accomplish, and then you need a bit some any element if you're a nonprofit. I think it's going to be especially one of the key things moving forward as you look to not individual donors per se, but foundational, corporate, government donors, whatever wherever your resources come from as a nonprofit. In that case. You're going to need to have evidence that you are kind of moving the needle on what your mission is, um, I, and finding that data and finding some support for it, and that is a big change uh, for a lot of organizations. And it's begun to happen a few years ago. And as I see things in the world, you know, I still see even people trying to understand what brand is stuff that I like got enlightened to as I started working at the Brand Center, you know, in 2009. And it's still moving. So I think there are some nonprofits that are, that are leaders already, um, but maybe that's 15, 20% of them and 80% are still catching up to that, that data gathering element.
1: The only thing that I would uh, take issue with, if it's not even really taking (laughs) issue, uh, with what you just said is that uh, not so much individual donors. I disagree. I think individual donors these days definitely want to know, where's my money going? How is it going to be used? Am I making a difference? Because if it's all about these big organizations, big foundations that are going to fund your work and they're the ones who can handle it versus how do I make a difference? how like on a on a donation page or a crowdfunding page you know if you say that fifty dollars enables this and this to happen and I could associate specific results that you've already gotten in the past and can give me some sort of guidance on how my money will be used I think that's absolutely critical today
0: no I, and, and I didn't mean to eh, dismiss what you're talking about there and I think a lot of organizations have that level data we have in terms of or the data that's been used and has worked effectively, and I think still will for a lot of individuals, is uh, the action data. We have accomplished this. So many yeah. people have been through our programs, etc., and that's great. And that is uh, has been, and obviously will continue to be. That's your organization demonstrating what it does. The functional yeah. needs, right? A brand is a mix of functionality and emotion, right? That's where we're this in the mind. There's like, I buy the chips because they taste great. But I also think a little bit about the company or the emotion or the advertising and some of the other things, right? So there's the mix of that with every brand. And so as a nonprofit, you need that functional demonstration of something. I think the deeper layer is beyond the action-oriented numbers and data. How many people have we served? How many people have been through us? Right now we're getting into, well, what changed from who they were before we served them to who they are now after they serve them and where those data points. And I think individual donors will eventually come to the expectation of seeing some of that too. And certainly if you can show that, that's going to be a benefit to you as a nonprofit to actually for to be demonstrating that you care about this and that you are trying to show that you're moving the needle. But um if, for, for foundation, any other large donors, that kind of thing, That that is going to be a crucial, absolute need in order to continue to get their funding. It's going to be less about the pure philanthropy and more about show me how I'm moving the needle and changing society with this
1: money. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I, I I teach that you know this should be on your website. This should be on a lot of your materials because even for individuals, they want to be part of a winning team. They want to feel like this organization is actually doing something, moving the needle, creating an impact, changing the world into some place that I want to see in my community or globally, wherever it might be.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's like, where's the out? The outcome-oriented data is the harder thing to get. Very difficult for people, right? We we do, you know, New York City Children's Theater does a lot of, you know, programming in school districts throughout New York City of you know performances and uh, anti they have an anti bullying program, etc. Well, you know, where can, where's the outcome? The people kids mm-hmm. who came to that anti bullying program, can you find a way to get a little data about has bullying gone down in the schools in which that program was? executed or not. right? And it's not easy to always get that data. Instinctively, that action-oriented thing, hey, you're trying to explain and teach about anti-bullying or about the dangers of bullying and how you handle it also, is just a good on its own. And people will commit and support that. You're going to get more support and more growth to your point at the beginning of how do we do that. If you can actually get that outcome data on, like, we serve this many schools with this program, there were this many reported bullying incidents prior. There are this many after. Right. We're not the sole, imp- we're not the sole impact of that, but we contributed,
1: contributed to this it. reduction. <laughs> right? Exactly, That's- exactly. And and speaking of New York City Children's Theater, great example. Um, So they are traditionally New York City based and work with New York City schools. And yet a little something happened over the course of the last year called COVID. And now all of a sudden, New York City, which has it right in the title, Children's Theater is appealing to kids around the, uh, parents really around the country and around the world and to educators. There has been a a shift in strategy as we've gone more online. And I think as things are returning to some state of normal. It's a new normal. It's a hybrid normal. How has COVID changed things for organizations, nonprofits specifically? What's different today and going forward that they should really be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that, and I think
0: there's still unknowns, right? I ask the easy questions, Matt. Yeah. (laughs) Predicting the future is folly, uh, as many will say but there are indicators uh, that you can go into. Um, you know, so the example is in the idea of like, now with the transition of giving New York City a children's seat as an example, digital programming, not only live shows in New York and in-person experiences in the schools, but more digital programming. Well, that expands the audience that they can reach. Um, that is, creates a brand new opportunity for what they can do therefore how do you move forward as a brand leveraging the new york city versus the you know the other the children's theater right and and that's a key thing as we talk about right this the beauty of a good brand and a good communications or marketing elements of it is simplicity is often what you want right so you get into these challenges of can we be recognized around the nation if we're called New York City Children's Theater, or are people gonna just constantly think of New York City? And so, you know, there can be subtle things in which you, you know, you adjust your marketing campaign to de-emphasize New York City and emphasize children's theater as you're doing programming that's digital, for example, right? or you de-emphasize the logo entirely, or you create a sub-brand related to your digital programming, which you, and you're focusing purely on that sub-brand, which is you know produced by New York City Children's Theater, but is bigger. And, you know, you can look to, right, you know, NPR as is, is a great example, right? A lot of the podcasts and episodes that you listen to there, they're crafted by public radio stations all across the country, but we think of them as, NPR episodes, whether they're from, you know, Chicago or New York or LA. Um, and I think that's kind of the model for brands to think about is where do you focus on the mission that you can that you want to deliver? And as there's new opportunities to reach stakeholders well outside, what might be your local area that you focused on? How do we craft the brand? to meet their mindset and not think of us as being entirely local, and B, which ones are the right opportunities to take? I mean, resources, as we know, are sometimes scarce in nonprofits. So always. it's, it's yeah, exactly, always, <laughs> um, right? I work for a nonprofit, right? Columbia University is a nonprofit institution, so I know it well myself. Um, and so it's, it's understanding where the opportunities to do it, where you take, where you, take a step back and this gets into another thing, right? As we talk about brand building in broadly, right? Which is in the way that digital communications, digitization has changed so much about our world, the way we interact with each other, the way we interact with brands, companies, product services, part of the building of the IT infrastructure we do is agile building, right? This ability you test, you experiment, you go, you rebuild, you break it down, you try again, and that's diffused now into the way all organizations need to think. They need to all be thinking as if they are an agile organization. And how do I do that? And for nonprofits, it's often a challenge to be experimental. One, you have resource constraints. You know, Two, you've got these core audiences often who donate to you to do the thing they know you do well. So... That's gonna be key in this expansion is find pilot projects as it's called, right? Find little things you can do, just put a small investment in it, see what goes, and ideally try five of them. I mean, potentially try five of them at very small. And then you learn which one seems to be getting sticky, getting some attention, making some traction, and then, you know, ramp up on that one. And ones that don't seem to be doing well, pull back on. And so that, that's gonna be key in terms of how you think about ex- the open expansion of the world you have access to and the stakeholders you have access to.
1: So when it comes to um, New York City Children's Theater, I actually think um, in a lot of markets, in a lot of ways, um, positioning wise, New York City, it is a brand. Right, the, you, someone says NYC or New York City, you think of all kinds of things, and I think one of them is theater, so I think that actually goes to their advantage. They I don't think they need to even downplay it in this case, but there are plenty of organizations that don't have the New York City name in them, but they've traditionally been community based or, or somehow local, and now that they're moving online, there's this uh, there's this mixed uh, opportunity, mixed blessing, if if you will, where on the one hand, they could reach a lot more people and their services are are great and valuable. Their online programming is great and valuable to them. On the other hand, there are a lot more organizations vying for that same dollar, that same um, moment of attention. Um, There's, there's a a term for it, isn't it? A time, a moment of attention. Uh, I can't remember what it is right now. So um, there's this need to differentiate somehow and to uh, the, the expression I like to use a lot is rise above the noise. Mm-hmm. How does a nonprofit brand or what advice would you give a nonprofit brand that wants to stand out when there's all these, you know, meme makers and multibillion dollar companies vying for that same uh, time unit of attention?
0: Yeah, I, again, and same thing, all brands are trying to break through the noise, right, is, is one of the big issues. So, uh, you know, I know you got, you like to share resources. You sort of led into this, right, which is one of my favorite books um, in the topic that uh, was part of my mm-hmm. it come yeah. out and was part of my graduate program uh, is Made to Stick, uh, which is uh, over a decade old now, but it's not dated uh, maybe some of the examples in the book might feel a little dated now, uh, but uh, because companies and the examples they've done have changed, but the principles behind Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath um, are great. And it is this breakthrough—the noise techniques that you can set up—and there's no guarantee any of this is going to work. But right, and and the key thing is they have uh, they call it success, and it's like being simple. Right, your messaging needs to be simple. To be unexpected. And that's the biggest thing to kind of break through the noise. And um, it needs to be concrete. That gets back into this data, this servicing. What are you doing? Something specific that people can latch onto rather than something abstract. Um, credible. Um, of course, as we know in our modern misinformation world, what people view as credible sources and viable sources <laughs> of information is really interesting and unique. I think for most nonprofits, there's still an expectation of some credibility behind it, especially if you're delivering any service with this, we're benefiting society. Well, where, where's their credibility that you are, you know, what credible stakeholders are saying that you make an impact and you make a difference or where do you have data to do that? So there's credibility emotional. Um, and again, that gets right into your storytelling Boris, and, um, so, uh, oh my gosh, I just blanked on the last S.
1: Oh, we can Google it real quick. I, yeah, I read the yeah. book, by the way, I, I love it, but I don't
0: remember the whole acronym. It, it, it's great. And it will probably come to me uh, as as we're here. And that's enough, I mean, I think for your audience, I've gotten through it. You oh, guys can all look hey, up, need hey,
1: to stick. Hey, or hey Matt, I'm, I'm really uh, embarrassed. And I kind of thought it might be it, but I was scared to say it. Stories, Matt, stories. Oh,
0: there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it wasn't coming to me because I was mentioning stories throughout the rest of the six steps uh, acronym that they use. So our um, viewers can now see my face all red that I forgot <laughs> for stories in <laughs> success. Um, so that's a great, I mean, and and again, these are the principles, it's not that nonprofits, a- anyone does it, you know, I give, I'm sure, you know, your listeners, maybe it's even come up at some point on your past episodes, right? There's the... You know, the famous ALS ice bucket challenge as people have come to think of it, right? And that comes up a lot. And I don't know whether on your podcast you've talked about it directly, but the ALS society was not the creator of the ice bucket challenge, right? And this gets into another kind of breakthrough the noise thing is where are these stories that S the stories? Most nonprofits have passionate people within their community. Things often that brands want more than they always have, right? They're looking for those passionate people that will share their stories, that will spread the love, that will give that word of mouth. Um, Nonprofits usually have lots of those people willing to help and who have great stories, you know? So where you can tease out those stories, especially in this resource constraint thing, where you can give them the tools. So just say, you know, give them an opportunity to post a little video, a selfie or whatever, right? All these tools of the digital age that make it easy for them to share their stories about why they love you ideally and think you're making an impact on the world. And then bring those stories that gets that credibility thing. Often what you'll find is some of those stories are unexpected, I didn't think this, I, that, you know, there, and, and you end up with those success metrics by relying on your community
1: and the stories they have to raise you above the noise. Right, and it's always much better for someone else to be singing your praises than for you to be singing your own. One is uh, bragging and the other one is accepting praise humbly uh, as as it may or may not be. Uh, I I often advise, and I teach actually whole strategies on how to collect those stories, to constantly collect, curate, and share those stories is is critical because you're... Um, that is proof of the work that you're doing. It's proof of people that support you. It's social proof in, in, in many ways. Um, and it is uh, s- organic uh, spreading of your message. Those people are your greatest champions in, in a lot of ways. They're certainly your biggest advocates and, and ambassadors.
0: Exactly. Um, or they can be small. I mean, sometimes they're small, right? It's, it's, their, it's off some of the greatest stories come out of the person who's just kind of small in your community, but had this one deep moment. Uh, and, and, you know, is now part of the community, but may not be a big player, may not be a recognized person, right? It's that, it's that one parent who was in a personal scenario with their family and came to a New York City Children's Theater show, as an example, right? And the show that day, like, reflected uh, an issue that was going on in their family environment, and their kids said something to them in reaction to that show. And, like, that impact, that in the moment, right, to your point too, of like that moment of attention, when you when you demonstrate like what we do sometimes is literally one moment of attention can have that ripple effect, right? The
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost the story becomes the ambassador because that's what connects to people on an emotional level, gets, gets into their minds and into ultimately their hearts, which is where, where you really wanna be in order to get someone to take action for your organization. Yeah. And, and
0: I think, you know, as a nonprofit, one of the interesting things is the multiple stakeholders you have, right? And, and that's another thing you need to be sourcing uh, and understanding is, you know, what are the difference of your big donors? Do you have foundation or government grants? What's their relationship to you, both the people involved in it, as well as the organizations, you know, whatever government department might be giving it, whatever that foundation is, are they changing their mission? I mean, paying attention to all those things, right? You may have users of particular services that you're doing, you may have, and someone in between, right? If you're, you know, uh, trying to do something for people who have a medical condition, your nonprofit is, you know, building a community. You may need the do- there are doctors and nurses that are these interim that are, need to bridge the patient who's going to use, or a person who's with their patient who's going to use your service. So now you have this influencer role in between you and the direct person you're providing service to. Um, so again, looking at all of them, understanding all of them, um, and then also you know, there's a great, uh, another great in this tools and resources. So I'm kind of like getting through some of your process in the course of our discussion rather than separating it out. There's a great uh, thing, again, that I know you'll share in your your tools, your resources afterwards uh, that I pulled, which is the the executive director of the California Symphony did a couple of long form posts on on Medium uh, about sort of their her change as she came in, in their cadence and how they reached out to their stakeholders. Um, and adapted the model to recognize that there were a lot of numbers of interaction that were pushing and seem good or database numbers and the number of people that we've been contacted with. And they realized, you know, if we're up that, moving up that level, right? From like bought a ticket to one symphony into regular donor or board member, right? You're hopefully, you know, and not many people are gonna get to the board member level, but you're trying to raise your audience up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most nonprofits have some kind of a ladder like that. Not all, but a lot of them have a ladder like that. You know, they realized that, you know, when someone comes to see one of our shows, they don't really want to be bothered immediately by please now donate, right? They recognize that, yeah, that led to some donations, but they tried some experimentation on waiting and the cadence of that. And they committed to not sending any donation type communications to anyone until after a year from their first interaction with the California Symphony, right? Which is against most, right? You go to the show and then you follow up with an email campaign that comes in and says, great, thank you, blah, blah, blah. We are always looking for more support, you know, blah, blah. And, um, you know, what they recognized was that the, they were, as they took that community of people and they did their testing control experiment they got more returnees and more people who then upped yeah. after the year because that like giving them a break and letting them soak in the information, soak in the experience. I mean, they would still some information about upcoming shows and things like that, mm-hmm. which is not, owner, you know, and finding those cadences. And as you can experiment, depending on how large your contact database is with different types of communications, different types of pathways, um, you know that that's all really important as you understand the needs and the expectations of your stakeholders.
1: Yeah, so um, a, a few things that that you touched on. Um, I actually walk uh, clients through a process of creating their story source map. What are all the different levels? Almost like the the. 30,000-foot view, the 3,000-foot view, 300, and and down to the three-foot view, right, of who is interacting with your brand, with your organization, and it includes your staff and your board, and it goes down to your beneficiaries, and all the different points in between, and your sponsors and and supporters, um, and all of them are potential sources for stories because they all have a specific experience with your organization. So um that's i think huge and and critical for companies uh, organizations to think about nonprofits. Um the other thing uh that you were just talking about with uh, waiting to ask for money that's uh, that's a huge pet peeve of mine is as soon as you land on most nonprofit home pages it donate now donate now that's the biggest call to action the first call to action I don't know you yet I haven't established a relationship with you yet. And I think and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading those articles now that you mentioned them. But I think it's about building that relationship, uh, not predicated on you have to give us money in order for us to care about what you want and, and provide you value. It's we're here to serve. We're here to provide value and step step by step, slowly building. I don't know if I could wait a year, but (laughs) it's more about um, a commitment point, right? So if someone has just entered your website and not ready to donate, they might be ready if you provide them enough value on your site to give you their email address or to sign up for a webinar in exchange for an email address, right? Which is a yeah. form of currency today because uh, that's about my attention in my inbox and then slowly, uh, the more value you provide, the the more you could ask for in return, which is why galas are so so huge and successful right? Because those are already people who are primed, they've already gotten value from you and now you're giving them this show and you're putting them into a situation where everyone else is also excited and giving and there's this there's this groundswell effect where everybody's you know, generously opening their pockets. And they also come with the expectation yeah. that they're going to be asked for money. It's not, oh, by the way, hope you enjoyed your dinner. Now give me money. Yep. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Um, you're also bringing up right in this cadence of communications as we talk about it. And, and I know you think about this, Boris, right? The two, there there's the donor-related appeal, which is like, what's in it for me? Matt Quinn, how do I feel? In giving, what's why why should I why what's going to inspire Matt Quint to want to give to you? That's going to be good for Matt Quint. Matt Quint's going to feel better out of just the pure giving, obviously, because we're past that. Every yeah. organization looking really, at the pure giving emotion, um, and then there's the, the the organizational related appeal, right? Which is the, what do we do? How are we serving? How are we bettering society in the corner of it that we're trying to tackle? Um, And there's an interesting, uh, another place, again, resource for for some of your folks to look at is, uh, there's the American Marketing Association, um, AMA.org. They have a big search term. You can search for nonprofit. And what you get there, they have a pretty good, they do some pretty good what we call uh, in the academic world or I call, right, this translation of what are those studies that are being done in the field that are right, data oriented, and trying to take out some confounding. Where are some of these insights? Uh, and there was one they highlighted about these donor appeals, uh, donor versus organizational appeals, and what are the impacts of them? Uh, and and it's really interesting if you look at the numbers, right? The donor appeals get more people to make a donation, right? But interestingly, the organizational appeal gets people to make a higher amount of donation. And the experiments they did with this nonprofit as they were doing it, and they did it in three different settings, it's interesting that the over the total revenue was roughly similar. So that gets into a strategic thought process of, hey, do we just need more? Like is an initial thing, we just kind of want more people in our database. You definitely want to go with a donor-related appeal. Like how will you Feel or find the donors that you know are good fits and focus on the like, you know, you will be helping children versus we help children, right? You know, in that sense, right? Which is the organizational thing. Um, If you're like, we have a good contact database, we're looking for sort of a better revenue for outreach thing. Hey, the organizational appeal can help. But the best one they found, which is a little tricky because it's a two step process, is to do when they use Facebook as a tool and they did a paid campaign, they reached 100,000 people on Facebook and the best was the donor, half of them that got the donor appeal on the Facebook message with the link to donate and then the donate page was all the organizational appeal. So if you can actually think about that, that two-step process, you know, your communications with people and that you, you, you separate a little bit what are how are you gonna feel donating? And what do we do to impact the world? Mm-hmm. And make that a two-step process. Um, that was shown to be highly effective. Um, the most effective way essentially to both get numbers and revenue generation out of it and not together. Um, together again it's like independent each one they all balance if you do them together you got less even than just an organizational appeal in terms of number of people but just slightly less but they donated a little more than people who had just gotten the donor appeal so right again you know you can do all of them and there's different times and certainly some that's the thing remember your strategy what's your goal at the time what do you need to do if you're just starting up as an organization you just need more people to be knowledgeable about you if you are kind of established and now you're looking at that next step and that deeper relationship with people, you know, that then your strategy is less about just numbers. And it's more about how do I ramp people up that ladder?
1: Uh, Matthew, I've, I think we need to have you back on for, for another episode. This is already going to be the longest episode I think we've ever recorded. And I didn't want to cut you off because this is all gold, pra- practically speaking, almost literally speaking in terms of nonprofit fundraising. I have a theory on on why that particular approach works. And, and it's it's because the first thing you want to do is connect with me on on what I want and what what uh, I want in in my world and and the effect that I can have. And then you want to show me the potentials. I I think most, uh, well, in a campaign like that, the job of the donation page is not to convince me to donate. By that time, uh, if I've clicked on your donate page, that's my intention. Now your job is don't lose me, don't turn me off, and try to get me one notch higher, right? Get me to donate a little bit more than I thought because I could see the greater impact that it's going to have. Yeah, and there
0: are all sorts of there's a lot of marketing literature around how you set up your payment schemes to drive a kind of biased inclination we have as human beings. So you always want to you want to set those up at relative distances to each other and have the right cadence of those to drive people into right an overall better revenue model um, in the way you set those up. So we're not gonna share all of that today, but uh, other things that your audience will look at or you'll highlight in the future on on other episodes or in other uh, communications and and platforms that you work on like your newsletter and such, Boris. So, wow, I've taken up the longest (laughs) amount of time. Um, If people are interested uh, in, you know, the work we do at the Brand Center, which is broad, right? So you're getting that. And that's, we talk about it with all businesses. When we talk with people, we do exercises specifically with companies about everyone gets caught in your, your competitor set, which you think of as yours, right? And this is nonprofits know a little better. They're like, I'm competing with every other nonprofit that exists for that percentage of wallet that people are willing to donate. You know, it's not just the other organizations that do children's theater. I'm competing with. Yeah. Yeah, everyone who's donating to hospitals and everyone who's donating to you know cancer cures and a- anything you can think of. So um, but com- so looking that, so looking at that outside competitors. So you know, you can visit us, and again, I know Boris will share this in the in the resources uh it's all on the show uh, notes page. Yep. Uh, is gsb dot dot edu backslash global brands. Um, and that leads you to our homepage. You can sign up for our newsletter there. You'll see links to, you know, all sorts of speaker videos from our events. Uh, we'll be launching a podcast, we hope before the end of the, uh, the year, uh, before the end of the month. Um, so you'll have a chance to, as so end of June, so maybe by the time you guys are watching this, <laughs> may be up and available. Um, and again, we will incorporate some nonprofit stuff. As I mentioned, one of our episodes, uh, coming up will be with the CEO of the Lego foundation and the CEO of right to play one of their, uh, recipient grant recipients. So, um, and if you want to reach me personally, um, you just, you know, I'm on that page or, or my email address is, uh, MQ.
1: At Columbia.edu. We'll have all that so it's easy for people to just click a button and, and link to. Um, we'll have all your takeaways, your resources, your calls to action. This has been invaluable. And since you guys are a nonprofit, I'm going to give you a bit of free advice, um, which is go get yourself a short URL that redirects to that page so you never have to spell. Uh, uh, what is it, Global Center brand? GCB? I, I I already forgot it. So instead, be able to just give somebody a a quick, simple URL that redirects like we do with like nphf.show will take you to .org strategy slash nphf slash whatever the episode number is. Um, It'll just make your life easier.
0: And we have that for our sub-brands. There's an interesting, you know, when you're you're a small part of a large institution, there are interesting expectations. And obviously, uh, you know, there's a, a Columbia halo that we like right. to have the brand center so for example uh, our bright conference which you had mentioned uh, early is which is our sort of key flagship event on brands innovation and technology so b-r-i-t-e conference that goes right there you can also get there to the brand center and uh, our podcast we brightideas.co uh, so yeah we, we <laughs> do that as well um but, uh, yeah there's a there's some some issues about uh, the large organization. All right.
1: I, I won't get into the politics of Colombia We'll <laughs> for, for our own conversations another time. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on today and and spending all this time dropping invaluable information, sharing it with everybody. Uh, I hope it's going to help organizations really refine their brand and help their brand stand out in this ever increasingly crowded space that, that we're all in. Um, it's got its opportunities and it's got its challenges and Thank you for helping illustrate those and and teach us how to navigate them.
0: Great. Well, it was a
1: pleasure to be on, Boris. And I wish you and your
0: audience uh, best wishes in building your
1: brands. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you again next week. Have a great day. Bye.
0: Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.